You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello listeners and welcome to the 1870th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 18th of March 2022. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Harvey Johnson and your readers are Val Fletcher and Adrian Grenville. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We're moving to headlines, and the first headline is Town Urged to Have Its Say on Future of St Felix Site. Town has the potential to be a major pilgrimage destination once again. Vigil held in Bury St Edmunds to show solidarity with Ukraine. People in Suffolk set to welcome refugees. Now to the first headline, Town urged to have its say on future of St Felix site. Town residents are being given the chance to have their say on the future of a former Newmarket Middle School site which has stood empty for a decade. The 11-acre site in Fordham Road, once home to St Felix Middle School, is one of five sites Suffolk County Council owns which it is proposing to develop for housing over the next 15 years. It wants to use half of it to build 50 homes, 30% of which would be designated as affordable. But Newmarket Town Councillors have already said the whole site should be retained to provide much-needed recreation and sports facilities, currently lacking in the town, which would be needed by future generations, particularly when the lease on the neighbouring George Lambton playing fields runs out. The site has been allocated for homes in the local development plan and after an initial presentation was made to town councillors last year, they urged residents to take part in the proposed consultation over the site's future use. Once it's gone, we won't be able to get it back, said councillor Douglas Hall. At a meeting of West Suffolk Council's cabinet on Tuesday, council deputy leader Councillor Sarah Mildmay-White said, As we know, the school closed in 2012 and the site has been empty for all that time. Quite frankly, it is certainly time something was done with this site. Town has the potential to be major pilgrimage destination once again. Bury St Edmunds could once again become a popular centre of pilgrimage. Those attending a special day of talks and discussion will find out. As part of the Abbey 1000 celebrations in the town, plans for a pilgrimage day on Wednesday, April the 6th, have been announced. Pilgrims have been coming to Bury St Edmunds for more than 1,000 years. The Shrine of St Edmund in the town attracted pilgrims from the country and all over Europe until the dissolution of the monasteries in 1539. Starting at St Edmundbury Cathedral, the Pilgrimage Day will be a chance to rediscover Bury St Edmunds 
as a place of pilgrimage, explore how it could once again become a popular centre of pilgrimage and the impact this would have on the town. The day, from 9.30am to 5pm, would include talks, panel discussion and practical information on pilgrimage past, present and future routes leading to Beres Nedmans. Throughout the day, which is free to attend, participants will move to different locations for each part of the programme, culminating in a short service in the Abbey Ruins. Among the guest speakers will be Dr Rebecca Pinner, Associate Professor in Medieval Literature at the University of East Anglia, Guy Hayward of the British Pilgrimage Trust, Adrian Tyndall, Chairman of the Berries and Edmunds Tour Guides, and Canon Peter Dole from Norwich Cathedral. Two new pilgrimage resources, funded with support from the National Lottery Fund, will also be launched on the day, including Pilgrim Paths, featuring ten ideas for pilgrimage routes leading to Berries and Edmunds, Libby Ranzetta, Chair of Abbey 1000, CIC, which is organising the 1000th anniversary celebration, said, Pilgrimage is enjoying a resurgence in popularity as people seek more contemplative, meaningful and environmentally sustainable activities. Around 200 people gathered on Angel Hill in Bury St Edmunds at the weekend to show solidarity for the people of Ukraine. Many wore blue and yellow Ukrainian flags, while others in can lit candles to show their support for the country following the Russian invasion on February the 24th. Pastor Matthew Jolly from Bury St Edmunds Presbyterian Church and the Very Reverend Joe Hawes, Dean of St Edmundsbury, gave speeches to the crowd during the vigil on Saturday night. Ukrainian-born Valerie Bedya, who attended the vigil, was in the country visiting relatives during before, just before the conflict began. Mrs Bedya, who lives in Barrow, near Bury St Edmunds, said she flew back to the UK on the morning of February the 24th. I was lucky because we are on the border with Hungary, around 20 miles from the town, she said. I just think because people didn't understand what was happening, there were no queues on the border. So within three hours we could cross the border. Mrs Bedia said her father currently remains in Ukraine. It's horrible and worrying, she said. They are just trying to help people from the eastern part of Ukraine to accommodate them and help them. I would never, ever imagine that this would happen. That guy Putin is unpredictable and I don't know what's in his head. 30 million people or more have had their lives turned upside down and the kids are not going to school, they are hiding. It's so wrong what's going on in Ukraine, it just should never happen in the 21st century. During his address, the very Reverend Joe Hawes said, Those who flee and those who cower in bomb shelters really are our brothers and sisters. Different from us in nationality, couldn't understand each other in our languages, but they are our brothers and sisters and that is why we are here. Following a two-minute silence, the vigil ended with the playing of the Ukrainian national anthem. People in Suffolk set 
to welcome refugees. Homes for Ukraine is officially launched. Many people across Suffolk are expected to open their doors to host Ukrainian refugees fleeing the war. The government announced its Homes for Ukraine scheme yesterday. Ukrainians will be able to live and work in the UK for up to three years with full and unrestricted access to benefits, health care, employment and other support. Those offering a place to stay will receive a tax-free monthly payment of £350. Among those planning to open their doors is Colin Tapscott from Debenham, who said, Looking at the news and seeing people in such circumstances, I thought, I can't just ignore this. What can I offer? Matt Hancock, West Suffolk MP, has said he will open his home to refugees fleeing conflict in Ukraine. In a post on social media on Monday, Mr Hancock said he strongly welcomes the Government Homes for Ukraine scheme, which will allow people across the UK to offer a room or home rent-free to Ukrainians. I will be signing up and opening up my home to support our Ukrainian friends, he added. Mr Hancock's post on social media was also backed up by an interview he gave on BBC Radio Suffolk breakfast show on Monday. During the interview, Mr Hancock said he would be willing to house one Ukrainian family in his own home. We're moving on now to general news. Raising awareness of sustainable living and the environment will be paramount when Haverhill Town Council holds its second green-themed market on Saturday, March the 26th. As well as the regular market traders on the High Street, there will be additional traders and organisations who will offer a range of products and free activities from 10am to 2.30pm. A spokesperson from Haverhill Town Council said, the Town Council is holding this event to raise awareness of environmental issues and sustainable living. It is our ambition for Haverhill to be carbon neutral by 2050. Our action plan to achieve that is available to view on the Town Council website. We want Haverhill to become one of the greenest towns in the county and the more the community becomes involved, the better. Visitors to the market can sample many things, including getting their face painted as a rainforest creature, making a seed bomb, growing a sunflower and taking part in a green colouring activity and get books from Suffolk Literacy Trust. Participants can also learn about dressmaking and clothes repairs with Katie Mack, read about amazing stories from around the world with the Echo News, make wood cookie medallions with Explore Outdoor or take hard to recycle items to the Keep Haverhill Recycling Stall. There will be the chance to find out more about Barclays Bank sustainable activities with the Barclays van. Buy no plastic, organic, vegan, palm oil free, handmade soap with the guilt free soapery, Learn about birds of prey with owls, <coughs> birds of prey rescue, and contribute to a large crisp packet Union Jack for the Platinum Jubilee. West of Grangers will be there to help you discover the bugs and wildlife in your garden. There will be organic, homemade pizzas 
from the little pizza oven, the Suffolk Wildlife Trust will be there, as will buskers. If you are a sustainable trader or a member of a relevant organisation, it is not too late to take part. Please email programming at haverhillartscentre.co.uk or call 01440-714140. Prime Town Centre land should not be used for a car park, a council has said in response to a planning application. Bury St Edmunds Town Council has objected to plans by David Harris of M&D Developments for parking for 269 cars at the former school site in St Andrews Street North. The design for the car park access involves creating a new filter junction just off Parkway, a busy dual carriageway road. M&D Developments already has permission for nine homes on the remaining part of the site that are currently being built. The developer believes there is a need for additional car parking in the town, not only today, but in the future. Bury St Edmunds Town Council said it objected on the grounds of vehicular access, highway safety and disturbance from lighting, light pollution and further considers that, in the light of the climate emergency declarations made at national and local level, the use of prime centre land for car parking is out of step with these aspirations. Ward councillor Julia Wakelam also wanted to record her strong objection over the plans for similar reasons. She shared the concerns of residents of Old Convent Orchard about security and that they would be disturbed by car movements at night. She said, this is Brownfield site, is clearly sustainable and is used for properly planned housing will help safeguard and improve the environment while ensuring safe and healthy living conditions. Granting permission to use it for car parking, on the other hand, is likely to have the opposite effect. She said it would compromise the security of neighbouring residential properties and there would be more air pollution and road congestion. The Highways Authority has requested more detail and raised the issue of an increased risk of tail-end shunts if arriving vehicles are required to wait on the carriageway because of congestion at the entrance. Mr Harris said he was trying to be forward-thinking by providing additional car parking, which he believes the town's needs in the light of all the new homes being built in the West Suffolk area. A total of 33 vehicle EV pay stroke charging bays are included in the plans and there would be pedestrian access into Robert Bobby Way. A new outdoor gym area costing more than £50,000 and aimed at keeping youth off the street has opened on a town estate. The gym, located on the Howard Estate in Bury St Edmunds, is equipped with state-of-the-art outdoor facilities sourced from Europe. There are 12 stations for each part of the body, such as bent press and leg extension equipment. Johnny Chandler, one of the founders of the estate's Green Hearts, who has been instrumental in bringing about the new addition, said, The kids have been getting a bad reputation and there's nothing on the estate for them, so I thought an outdoor gym would be a good thing. 
I met with Robert Everett and two councillors and they agreed to it 18 months ago. With Covid and getting the equipment from Europe, it has just taken so long, but now it's finally here. It's been a group effort, he added. Johnny said that in the early stages of planning for the gym, he started a petition to gauge how residents would feel about the proposals. He said, we got nearly a thousand signatures. We went round knocking on doors to see what people would think about it, and the majority said it would be a good thing. Hopefully now the kids and adults can get down there. I hope it brings people together. Johnny added that he thinks the gym will have a positive legacy. I think when kids can see when people are doing something to help, you might get a bit of respect back. That's what I'm hoping. Hopefully they'll look after it and enjoy it. It's very sturdy and would take a lot of time and effort to destroy it. Our aim is to be positive and try to do positive things and hopefully we'll get good feedback, he added. And there's a lovely colourful photograph of all oh, 18 people, children and adults round the equipment and smiling at the cameraman. Elaine, 91, is honoured by Health Club. To mark Wednesday's International Women's Day, Bannantyne Health Club and Spa in Bury St Edmunds has announced a 90-year-old member as its Woman of the Year. Elaine Vinton, a great-grandmother and retired architect, attends the club's aqua aerobic class. She was nominated for Woman of the Year by restaurant manager Samantha Mendaza and sales and reception manager Julie Key. The launch event celebrating the return of the women's tour to Bury St Edmunds this summer was held this week at the town's Abbey Gate. The eighth edition of Britain's most prestigious women's cycling race will see the town host the finish of the opening stage on Angel Hill on June the 6th. This will be the town's third appearance in the race and the first finish there since Dutch rider Marion Voss won the finale of the 2014 event. Being asked why the town had been chosen as the finishing point of the race's first leg, the Women's Tour Partnerships Director, Jonathan Derling, said, In 2014, when we finished the first race here, I remember people questioning if we would, would we get the crowds for a women's tour. But on the day when we stood here, the whole area was absolutely packed. And I remember our comment afterwards with a picture of the riders on the podium and a sea of faces in the background was, and they said no one was interested in women's cycling. Mr Darling said with the finish coming on the back of the four-day bank holiday for the Platinum Jubilee, he said he hoped the event in the town would bring more of the same. He said, this is a great location and the most beautiful backdrop for a finishing line. If we could get weather like today, what more could we ask for? Sudbury will become the latest place to have a sporting memories group which launches on May the 18th. The sessions, which are free to attend, will take place at the Abbeycroft Leisure's Kingfisher Leisure Centre each Wednesday between 2 and 3pm. 
One of the organisers of the group, Andy Reid, said, I'd like to see the group offering people of Sudbury who enjoy talking about sport and have the opportunity to get together at no cost to them after some trying months and a couple of years of lockdown. Especially those people that perhaps haven't met up with as many people as they would do normally, or those that may be suffering from dementia or just feeling a bit low. Andy has previously campaigned for defibrillators in Sudbury, following a cardiac arrest in 2018, and is using his experience as motivation for the group. I could easily have been the person suffering, so an opportunity to talk about sport with like-minded people locally would have been a huge benefit to me, he said. The Sporting Memories Foundation tackles depression, dementia and loneliness through talking about sport as well as promoting physical exercise. The common theme of sport will hopefully get people together, trigger conversations and give people the opportunity to make new contacts and friendships. I think it's very important to have something like this in Sudbury, Andy added. Andy also hopes to use the groups to provide a link with the facilities at Kingfisher Leisure Centre in order to get people back to thinking about physical as well as mental fitness. Chief Executive at Abbeycroft Leisure, Warren Smith, said, We're very pleased to be hosting the new Sporting Memories Group in Sudbury at Kingfisher, as we know what a difference these social groups can make to people's lives. We're also encouraging physical activity as part of the group session and working with participants to promote the wider programmes and activities on offer. We're moving on to letters now. And my first letter is from Mark Sutcliffe of Bilderston. And it's headed, Who is next for Putin? Sir, not one of us could fail to be moved by the tragic and horrific scenes coming out of Ukraine. It seems almost unthinkable that a modern European nation could embark on such carnage in the 21st century. All free European countries must band tightly together and stand in solidarity with Ukraine. Putin is a dictator and a despot. He saw disarray and weakness in both Europe and the US over the last decade and has acted accordingly. For all our weapons and trillions and trillions of dollars of defence spending, the West appears weak and impotent. We watch over the fence while our small neighbour and his family are beaten and killed by an evil giant. We throw him a sword to use, but refuse to help any further. Inevitably, he will be crushed and defeated. We will all end up living next door to that evil giant. Nuclear weapons were meant to prevent war, but clearly they don't. They make it impossible to intervene in a situation like this. Who is next? Finland? Sweden? Backward step in dentistry service, writes John Scott of Newmarket. In November, a press article appeared quoting Ed Garrett, Chief Executive Officer of Ipswich in East Suffolk, North East and West Suffolk Clinical Commissioning Groups. He stated he was ashamed of dentistry provision in Suffolk and was establishing a task force to bring about improvement. I wrote to him the same day concerning a person with motor neurone disease who had toothache, was able to sit upright and was dependent on breathing apparatus. 
she was entitled to treatment under the Discrimination of Dis- Disabilities Act. Because of a change of policy, she could not obtain treatment from a specialist dentist without referral from another dentist. This referral is not free. Previously, a person could self-refer. On March the 2nd, 2022, almost three months later, Mr Garrett eventually responded confirming this change of policy and stating it was being rolled out across the country. This policy change makes dentistry provision for the most vulnerable in our society even more of an impossibility. I wanted to highlight this backward step to urge anyone with similar experiences or strong views to write to their MP or, at the request of Mr Garrett, email England, D-E-N-T-A-L-E-A-S-T, Dental East, at nhs.net. The person I was trying to assist has since died. The shame expressed by Mr Garrett is therefore totally justified. Audrey Naylor of Ipswich writes, I totally agree with columnist Andrew Newman, that was the East Anglian Daily Times of March the 9th, that vegan food that imitates meat is a confusing idea. To my knowledge, new vegans ought not require look-alike substitutes to stop their cravings. Seriously, this could mislead from a nutritional perspective because these not-bacon-type products are false equivalents in terms of diet. When I first moved to Ipswich, there used to be a vegetarian restaurant serving honest pulses, nuts and a rainbow of vegetables and cereals called Marnos. Refugees need our help urgently, writes Helen Corfanti via email. Why is our government embarrassing us? They've issued only 300 visas to Ukrainian refugees. We are a kind and generous people too. Many of us want to do more for the refugees from Ukraine and are willing to take them into our homes. Please let our MPs and local councillors know that this is what we want and it is urgent. John Davis of Bury St Edmunds writes... The reason why readers complain because they did not get what they voted for is justified because the first past the post, and that in short is FPTP, first past the post system is most unfair. Let figures prove the facts. For example, in Scotland in 2015, the SNP got 49.97% of the vote and 94.91% of the seats. In a party percentage proportional representation, and for short that is PPPR system, they would have got 57.62% of the seats. In the same election, Labour got 24.29% of the vote. Conservatives, 14.91%. And Lib Dems 7.54% and each got 1.69% of the seats. In a PPPR system they would have got 23.72%, 15.25% and 3.38% respectively. In the 2011 voting referendum the choice was either the single vote with FPTP 
or the multi-vote alternative vote system. David Cameron, the then Prime Minister, had a battle cry. One vote on one voting paper. Party percentage proportional representation, that's again PPPR, is a one vote on one voting paper system and its objective is for seats to match votes, which doesn't happen with what we have now. And that is why we keep on complaining. Now here's a letter from Barry Peters, who's the editor of the Very Free Press. Occasionally, he writes, a news item comes along which wipes everything else from our many screens. The scale of the crisis in Ukraine has touched everyone. No longer are we worrying constantly about Covid grafts and those caught up at the Downing Street Partygate saga have been given a reprieve. Here, in Suffolk, the response has been simply overwhelming. A Tusami of kindness was experienced by Gee Whiz, with donations and volunteers rolling in. Over in Risby, A&R Haulage is at the centre of a humanitarian aid mission to help refugees. This weekend, a vigil takes place at Angel Hill in Bury St Edmunds, and elsewhere, one seven-year-old boy asked for donations instead of presents for his birthday to give to children in the Ukraine. We will all have a take on how the crisis should play out. Resolve the killing through diplomacy or go full tilt the other way with an attack on Putin. If anything, the pandemic has brought people close together and has given us back a real sense of family. So, for those families who are now devastated and ripped apart by war, our thoughts and our prayers must be with them, along with the desire that their regular lives will resume again quickly. John Dell of Shockley writes, Last year the UK left the EU in order to take back control. In doing so, this nation has become a more divided and confused country than ever. This year, Ukraine has asked the EU for immediate admission to the EU before Russia takes back control of their country at the point of a gun. Their people are being slaughtered. The Ukrainians are united in viewing the EU as a bastion of freedom and democracy. Given their position, I think it's fair to say that the Ukrainians are likely to be far more clear-eyed on the benefits that the EU represents than those of us comfortable in the UK. The Ukrainians simply do not have the luxury of division and confusion. Government not held to account, writes John Corrie from Bury St Edmunds. Bob Darville's letter to the Bury Free Press of March the 4th is exactly right about the deeply unpleasant nature of life in our country at the present. I would simply add to his list the dangerous attacks on democracy and the ability to hold the government to account, such as restricting rights to protest, curbing access to the judicial review, and worse still, enabling ministers to ignore adverse judgments against the government. Other aspects are emasculating the powers of the Electoral Commission and negotiating trade agreements which will undercut British farmers and lower food and environmental standards. One could go on with a longer list, but one would simply end with Brexit, 
which has driven a wedge of hate through the centre of our country, with benefits so little apparent that Jacob Rees-Moggs has had to ask members of the public to let him know of any benefits. Since he's a multimillionaire, can fully insulate himself for all this misery, he's a rather laughable person to be seeking out these so-called benefits. Anthony Shoebridge of Bentley. Sir, are we to accept that all things Russian are now cancelled? Every Russian to blame for the horrendous situation in Ukraine? That's a bit like saying we in Britain are all responsible for some of the brutal criminal activity that is prevalent here, or that every Briton is at fault for Boris Johnson's misdemeanours. Putin... Putin seems on an unrelenting course towards total disaster. Paranoid about the perceived threat of the West and as some form of encouragement and persuasion is often required to overcome paranoia, we really need some serious negotiators to get involved. Unfortunately, rhetoric coming from the Ukraine leadership gives no room for manoeuvre, leaving little chance of an immediate end to the death and destruction. When you hear statements from President Zelensky suggesting that the only respite for Russian invaders will come in their graves, you have to wonder about his ability to actually bring about peace and stability at all. We know what the people of Ukraine are sacrificing, but what sacrifices are their leaders making? Now I'm reading out a feature called Secrets and Heroes. Discover a top-secret room, real local heroes, and incredible hidden history at a new free exhibition, ration books to rock and roll at Bury St Edmunds Guildhall. Did you know that Bury St Edmunds has its own answer to Bletchley Park, right in the heart of the town? The Guildhall, Royal Observer Corps Operations Room, is a fascinating place, tucked away on Guildhall Street. It helped change the course of the Battle of Britain, and is the only one of its kind left in the country. Explore the untold stories of the top-secret room, the real and local heroes who worked there, and what life was like in Bury from a make-and-do-and-bend to coronation celebrations. With displays, concerts, theatre and creative activities for all ages, there's something for everyone at the exhibition, which runs from March the 26th to April 10th. Particular highlights include the premiere of Forewarned, Forearmed, a specially written drama bringing the store of the Royal Observer Corps to life, free, make, do and mend craft activities for kids, a talk by local historian Martin Taylor, and a chance to find out more about family history with the team from the Bury St Edmunds Library. The exhibition is free from 10am to 4pm with refreshments available in the Guildhall Tudor Kitchen, kindly provided by the team from Abigate Cinema Cafe. Tickets for accompanying events can be purchased via whatsonwestsuffolk.co.uk. Pre-booking essential to avoid disappointment. To find out more about the exhibition and the unique Guildhall Ops Room, visit berrysonedmondsguildhall.org.uk or call 01284 247037. Now here are some of the events. On Saturday, March the 26th, 
a display of the land girls and horses of Suffolk, the play Four Warned and Four Armed in the evening, Sunday, March the 22nd, Secret Berries and Edmunds Talk by Martin Taylor, Tuesday, April the 5th, Daddy's Diaries, The Moving Wartime Experience of a Milton Hall Airman, Friday, April the 8th, Classic Femme Concert, Enjoy the Greatest Hits of the Golden Age of Singing with his Capella Quartet, and Saturday, April the 9th, Crafty Foxes, Free, Make, Do and Mend, Children's Craft Activities, Barry St Edmund's Library, and contribute your memories to a special display and get advice on researching your family history. I'm going to read about a fascinating exhibition which is uncovering the taboo world of poaching, and that's at Moises Hall Museum in Bury St Edmunds. A new exhibition kicks off this month at Bury St Edmunds Moises Hall, exploring the illicit world of the poacher. Running until Sunday, May the 1st, it's called By Night Perspectives of Poaching. And this will present rural objects, art and literature from the darker side of West Suffolk Heritage Services collection to illustrate the perils and conflicts of the practice. It will also include items on loan from the Museum of East Anglian Life, Bungie Museum and the Roald Dahl Museum and Story Centre, which will all provide invaluable additions to the narrative. While the exhibition concentrates on the local history of hunting and poaching from the 18th to the 20th century, it also traces the roots of poaching back to the era of the Norman Conquest and examines how it can still prove a divisive subject even today. Poachers might appear as a romantic outlaw, such as in the tales of Robin Hood, but in other contexts they can be presented as decidedly more villainous. In tackling this complex issue, the exhibition brings the origins, equipment, legends, allies, enemies and consequences of poaching into focus. It seeks answers as to why people might risk their freedom and, in some cases, their lives in pursuit of the hunt Visitors are also invited to form their own opinions as they trespass in the footsteps of the people who walked by night. Poaching forms a key element of the Crime and Punishment Gallery at Moises Hall Museum, but in learning about these collections, I found that there were still more stories to tell if we could offer this enthralling subject a wider stage as is explained by the West Suffolk Council Heritage Officer, Ben Ridgen. By night, Perspectives of Poaching will be open between Monday and Saturday from 10am to 5pm and Sundays between 12pm and 4pm. Award for Locomotive Restoration The Mid-Suffolk Light Railway in Weathering Set has been presented with an award for restoring a locomotive built for the Shredded Wheat Company in 1934. The site in Hall Lane, also known as the Midi, was presented with the Morgan Preservation Award by the Heritage Railway Association. Steve Oates, Chief Executive of the Association, visited the popular tourist attraction 
to present the award to John Stark, Chairman of the Mid-Suffolk Light Railway. Mr Stark said, It was an important celebration of our volunteers and excellence of their work. This award is one of the highest annual HRA awards and our victory demonstrates that experience in heritage railway projects, both large and small, will be rewarded. The Fowler diesel mechanical locomotive was put through a six-month restoration project starting in November 2018 by brothers Neil and Nigel Davis, who were both members and volunteers at the MIDI, bringing it back to full working order. An Elmswell company has become the first in the UK to be granted a licence to grow cannabis for medicinal use. CBD Brothers, run by Ben Birrell, has been granted the licence by the Department for Health and Social Care in Guernsey. It means the company will be able legally to cultivate, process and extract cannabis for use in medicinal products containing the psychoactive ingredient THC. Since November 2019, medicinal cannabis can be prescribed to ease conditions such as seizures, arthritis, MS and Parkinson's. At the moment, this is mainly through private practices. It has been a long journey from preparing balms and lotions in my garage at home 11 years ago to sitting down with government heads in Guernsey and Home Office officials to be granted the licence, said Mr Beryl, who lives in Ixworth. It means we can legally grow cannabis to produce extracts containing THC for medicinal use, as well as eventually produce our own line of medicinal cannabis products. My background is in social and palliative care, which I worked in for 20 years, so the health benefits of cannabis is something I have a particular interest in. The licence was granted after the company's two-acre site in Guernsey was inspected by Home Office officials last December. This followed a memorandum of understanding between Guernsey and the Home Office in July 2021 over the island's right to issue licences. The states of Guernsey have set up a robust and very thorough licensing structure whilst at the same time allowing medicinal cannabis to be more accessible for the residents. From our point of view, it allows us to get a step closer to achieving our goal of affordable, effective cannabis-based products for medicinal use that are produced in the UK for the UK market. One of the earliest works by the 18th century Suffolk painter Thomas Gainsborough could fetch up to £50,000 at auction after originally being bought for just £2,600. Sudbury-born artist Gainsborough, 1727-88, to 88, is believed to have painted a portrait of the woman, a member of the Seaton family, at the age of 16, while he was lodging in Hatton Gardens, London. The artwork was bought by its present owner, retired company director Robert Mulrain, at auction in 2016 for 2,600 before it was authenticated as being created by young Gainsborough. Now it has a pre-sale estimate of 30 to 50,000 pounds. 
Mr Mulrain said at the time that he'd become involved in searching for misattributed paintings online thanks to his art restorer son James. He said he saw the portrait, which at the time was attributed to the circle of painter Arthur Davis, and believed it could be a Gainsborough. Following extensive research, the work was identified as being by Gainsborough and has since been included in the 2019 publication of art historian Hugh Belsey, a catalogue raison, as portrait of a young woman in a green dress. Mr Belsey, a Gainsborough expert, said, It's only in recent years that Thomas Gainsborough's early portraits have been identified. The artist's acute observation and his extraordinary ability to paint fabrics are telltale traits and the small portrait of a young woman from the Seaton family is among the very earliest painted by Gainsborough. It has not been possible to establish the precise identity of the sitter. She probably lived in London rather than in the artist's native Suffolk. In his authoritative catalogue, Thomas Gainsborough, the portraits, fancy pictures and copies after Old Master, Mr Belsey lists only two earlier portraits. The first is a miniature portrait of a young girl, and the second a self-portrait believed to have been painted by Gainsborough in his early teens, sold by Cheffin's auctioneers in Cambridge last year for a hammer price of £90,000. Nicholas Martineau of Cheffin's, where the artwork is being sold, said, This latest and exciting discovery represents a further glimpse into Gainsborough's earlier career, helping us to fully appreciate his extraordinary ability from an early age. A kidney recipient is urging people to have conversations about organ donation after a transplant operation saved her life. Kirsty Clark from Clare in West Suffolk was in her mid-thirties when she received the shocking news she had kidney disease. The illness progressed and her health deteriorated, leaving her in desperate need of a transplant. Kirsty, who underwent the operation in January 2021, said, It's given me back my life, and there's no two ways about that. On World Kidney Day yesterday, NHS Blood and Transplant said more than 4,600 people, including 23 patients in Suffolk, are waiting for a kidney transplant, and this figure is expected to rise. It is calling on everyone in Suffolk to share their organ donation decision and also take a moment to consider living kidney donation, which is when people can donate a kidney in life. Kirsty, now 41, said, It's having these conversations and understanding the possibilities. I think World Kidney Day helps that in many ways because, first of all, we're having a conversation about kidneys. These are really important organs that until something goes wrong you don't acknowledge what they do to keep you alive. And it's only then you think, oh my God, I need another one. Where do I get it from? What do I do? NHS Blood and Transplant said people could donate a kidney in life to a particular individual such as a relative, or choose to donate anonymously where their kidney will either go to a high-priority patient on the transplant list or create a chain of transplants via the UK Living Kidney Sharing Scheme. 
Living donation is not for everyone and some people are not suitable donors, so the majority of kidney patients, like Kirsty, will still be saved by a deceased organ donor. Even though the law around organ donation has now changed to an opt-out system across England, Wales and Suffolk, many people are still not aware that families will still always be consulted before organ donation goes ahead. For more information or to register your organ donation decision, visit www.organdonation.nhs.uk or call 0300 Members of the House of Lords praise the distinguished service of the former Cabinet Minister and Life Peer, Lord Tebbit, as he retired from Westminster Life after 52 years. Lord Tebbit, who lives in Bury St Edmunds, bid his farewell to the red benches on Wednesday as members of his family looked on from the public gallery. Initially elected to the House of Commons in 1970, he served in Margaret Thatcher's government where he gained a reputation for his no-nonsense style. In one of his most controversial speeches in 1981, with millions unemployed, he said that in the 1930s, when faced with a dole, his father got on his bike. Lord Tebbit and his late wife were almost killed in the 1984 Brighton bombing by the IRA. Lady Tebbit, who was seriously injured in the blast, died in 2020. The couple moved to Bury St Edmunds in 2009. On leaving the Commons in 1992, the former Conservative Party chairman was made a life peer. Speaking at the start of questions in the upper chamber, business manager Lord Callaghan said... After 52 years of distinguished service in Parliament, this is the final period of appearance of Lord Tebbit, who is also joined by his family in the public gallery. I'm sure, in speaking on behalf of the whole House in saying, it has been greatly enhanced by his presence here, and wish him all the very best for his long and happy retirement, and we will miss him. Labour front bencher. Lord Kennedy of Southwold said, I am sad that he's gone. Steam Rally After a two-year absence, Woolpit Steam Rally is back and will take place over the weekend of May the 28th and the 29th at Warren Farm, Weatherden. The 2019 rally saw £17,200 donated to local charities and community groups and the organisers are hoping to be able to raise much needed funds again this year. The rally is well known for its pre-1930 tractor display and around 20 examples are expected to be on show in May. Several entries already received will be new to Woolpit with some making their preservation and restoration debut. A further 70 tractors built before 1965 will also be on show, together with a display of trailed farm implements, which would have been commonplace on farms before the three-point linkage revolutionised farming methods.
The stationary engine section is likely to number 80 in total, with several being over 100 years old. Many will be presented doing what they were originally designed for by driving an array of mills, pumps, dynamos and other machinery. Vintage cars, motorcycles, commercial and military vehicles will also be represented along with around 50 craft, trade and auto jumble stalls. A primary school teacher is hoping to turn reluctant young readers into bookworms with his new book. David Oates, a year one teacher at Westgate Primary in Bury St Edmunds, has published his first book called The Imagination Thief. It follows the story of Eva and her best friend, Wonder Unicorn, on a magical adventure. Mr Oates, 40, has also produced all the illustrations himself and was inspired by a conversation with stepdaughter Jemima, 9. Jemima came up with the idea about adults losing their imagination when they got older because someone steals it said Mr Oates, who lives in Redgrave. We developed the idea and the characters from there and the story centres on Toby and Eva as they chase Eva's imaginary friend, Wonder Unicorn, through a magic portal after the imagination thief kidnaps her. They encounter new friends and have to work together as they attempt to save the world from the evil villain. The 96-page book, which has been endorsed by popular children authors James Campbell and Mark Rogers, is aimed at children aged from 8 to 10. It's designed to encourage children, who might not think for themselves as keen readers, including Mr Oates' own 10-year-old son James. I often feel there's not enough books for reluctant readers, those that might get put off by a bigger book, said Mr Oates, a father of five. Because of the pandemic, children can be around three or four months behind where they should be. I wanted to create something that's easy to read and more intermediate. James is a reluctant reader, but now he's read it, he's desperate for the sequel. The Imagination Thief has been released by publishers, Emira Press. Mr Oates is the English lead at Westgate Primary and first started writing stories when he was very young. I was heavily into comics and books when I was younger and I used to write my own stories and create superheroes all the time, he said. Eva has an active imagination and is desperate for fun and adventures. She also wants to rescue her friends and be the hero. The book is available from Amazon and Emira Press. Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds has received a £5,000 grant to help improve its accessibility and environmental sustainability as well as fund urgent repairs and maintenance. The Theatres Trust Small Grants Programme money will fund the replacement of existing downlighters with LED alternatives to improve environmental sustainability. The Theatre Raw was one of 13 from around the UK to win support from the Trust. A book about the history of the railway in Haverhill that took 14 years to complete from the moment the idea was planted in the author's mind, has sold out after just one book signing session. Jeff Walker's book, All Change at Haverhill, covers everything from the planning and construction of both lines, 
through to the 1963 Beeching Report and the eventual 1967 closure of Lyons in Haverhill. It ends with the aftermath of the closure and speculation as to the future. The three, two, three, five-page book also contains over 180 photographs, many provided from the collection of the Haverhill and District Local History Group, which printed the book, as well as some taken by Jeff. It was Jeff's first book, and he said the initial idea came to him in 2008. Jeff, 73 of Haverhill, said, In 2008, the work started to clear the old ruins of the train station to make way for Tesco. I took some photographs, and it set me thinking that something ought to be written, not only about the history of the railways, but about afterwards as well. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Harvey, Adrian, goodbye. Mary and myself, Val, it's goodbye. Goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.